0: Seems like every time Children's Church comes up, we decrease by 85%. I just wanna piggyback on what God is doing. I don't, I think we have a tendency to um, prioritize the power of what God does based upon our own estimation of the magnitude In other words, we would probably give more credence to um, a blind person seen for the first time than we would for somebody who was set free from believing a lie. Hmm. And um, they're the same. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same power. It's the same God. So if there is anything today that, that God ministered to your heart, don't. Don't minimize the greatness of what God just did. Don't don't lessen anything that he said, whether it's a lie that says you're unworthy, whether it's a lie that says, you know, you keep doing that same stupid thing over and over again, and I'm done. You know, just uh, just know the magnitude of what God does. God is great, and he never changes, and his greatness is the same regardless of the circumstance. So that was free that wasn't even in the notes today um i know i know so let's pray and go home Uh, (laughs) so continuing in uh, the sermon on the mount and we um you know jesus didn't have he didn't have the scrolls with him. He just had the Holy Spirit. And when he got up on that mountain, you know, the, if, when you look at the context of this sermon, he was talking to his disciples. He went up there to have a conversation with the 12 guys he had just chosen. And uh, if you look in uh, Luke, it says that he fasted and prayed all night before he chose the 12. And even that's a whole quandary to me because... Judas was in the mix, and just how does all that pan out? Um, but the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus started, he was just going to spend time with, uh, you know, he had, he had come out of the wilderness, he'd done some miracles, and was, sat his 12 disciples down, and all of a sudden there's a crowd. And the way he puts this teaching together um, it's, it's the Holy Spirit, but there's order, there's process. And so as he begins with the Beatitudes, basically the next thing he moves into is salt and light and greatness. And, and, and really what he was saying was, these eight Beatitudes that I've just given you, here's how you live them out. Here's how you take these these, these eight things of you know, being peacemakers and being meek and, and mourning and, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness, um, being poor in spirit, um, you know, being merciful. This is how you take all of those and how you live them out, and you do it by being salt and by being light. And, and the reward of that is greatness, and, and we're going to talk about that. So Jesus gives two conditions for you and I to be effective uh, in living out the life that he's called us to. He's just explained to his disciples that um, about what it means to be, to have poverty of spirit, what it means to be mournful, what it means to be meek, what it means to hunger and thirst for righteousness, what it means to be merciful, uh, what it means to be pure in heart what it means to be persecuted for righteousness sake. So he's just gone through that. He's taught them that. He did it in maybe 10 minutes and it's taken us about four weeks. So just the power of of his teaching. And so he's saying there's two things that we have to do to be effective with this. Number one is we have to be salt that retains its saltiness. Uh, And number two, we have to be a light that's not hidden. So, you know, the world, the world cannot stop itself from rotting and descending into darkness. And if you don't believe that, watch the news. Just read the newspaper. See what's going on. See where the mindset of humanity is right now. The the, the darkness, the pervasive um, drive towards humanistic evil. Um, it's it's just. The, the world on its own, it can't stop itself from getting worse and worse and worse. Um, I, you know I find myself, I remember there were times in the past where I thought, you know it can't get much worse than this, and I long for those days. <laughs> you know I'd, I'd love to go back to those days. It, it, it's, it's a mess right now. And, and so the church and the world have conflicting messages. We have conflicting points of view, our message be overshadowed, or be lessened by the pressure of the world. And so, it's only salt and light from the outside of a world system that can prevent decay and that can prevent darkness. And Jesus says, we're the light and we're the salt. And so, our power as followers of Christ is found in our ability to maintain our distinction. In other words, we're supposed to be different. I talked about this last week. You know, Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. He didn't come to bring a message that everybody's going to say, let's sing Kumbaya and hold hands and let's go and skip off together into the sunset. He brought, he, he brought a message that's supposed to offend the heart and the mind of man. The gospel is offensive to those who do not want to live a godly life. And so we have to maintain our distinction. And we maintain our distinction by being distinct. One of the the problems, one of the difficulties for the church in our culture, in the world right now, is the church has tried too hard to look like the world to try and entice people to come into the church so that we can pull a switcheroo on them. You know, we'll look like the world till you get here, and then we'll give you Jesus. But here's what Jesus said. Our distinction has to be the same all the time. We have to be salty all the time. We have to be illuminating all the time. And so... It's very tempting for people, even today, as the pressure grows. And that's why Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. He says, look at all the prophets who went before you. They all dealt with it. He says, here's the deal. Rejoice and be glad. Great is your reward in heaven. So he said, look it. If you are going to maintain a distinction, if you are going to allow the love of Christ manifest in your lives to be your message. You need to know you can't soften it. You can't paint it a different color and hope that somebody will say it's something that's not. You have to remain distinct. And if we remain distinct, there is going to be persecution. There's going to be turmoil. There are going to be fights. Right now, um, you know, the, the one thing in our nation right now, and there are many things, but for me the predominant thing right now is abortion. There there is no fuzzy line in the middle. There is no allowance in scripture for for the health of the mother. You know, God says before we were formed in our mother's womb, he knew us. God had a plan for this whole thing. And so the, the call to be salt and light calls us to have a relevant impact upon our culture, not not, it's not a call to conformity. It's, it's not a call to, I think, some people have taken this scripture that, that Paul, where Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I might win a few. He wasn't saying, he wasn't saying, I've become like the world so that I might get them sucked in and then I can bring them to Christ. No, he says, I've become poor with the poor. You know, I've become meek with the meek. You know, I've mourned with the mourners. I've become what they are. I've identified with their pain, with their life, in order that I might show them the love of Christ. And so Jesus' teachings are offensive to a carnal mind. That's part of the problem we have right now. If we are going to stand for righteousness, what we're saying right now this day, in this hour, in this culture, the way this world is, if we're going to say the truth to what the Word of God says... We need to know right now that we are going to offend people. You need to understand that we are the, the, the vocal minority, even though surveys still say the majority of Americans identify themselves as Christians. The reality is there are fewer and fewer who understand what this book says and are willing to stand for it and to live their lives according to it. So, you know... We, we can't weaken the teachings of Jesus in order to, um, you know, to, to be acceptable or, or, or to make people feel comfortable because that's an untrue gospel. We're not called to teach an untrue gospel. We're, we're called to 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 teach the the Word of God, and so we have to remain true to what this Word says. When it says, you know, Jesus. The next few weeks, Now, next Sunday, Dale's going to share with us. But after that, we're going to get into, Jesus talks about the heart of the matter. We're we're going to get into um, how how murder begins in the heart. It doesn't begin with the gun in your hand or the knife in your hand. It begins in your heart. Adultery doesn't begin in bed. Adultery begins before you ever get between the sheets. It, It begins in your heart. And so it's all about a heart issue. And so, you know, we have to remain true to this message. Refusing to, to have this, this twofold message to be salt and to be light is, is to say, I am willing to compromise um, and therefore be powerless. And I don't know any other way to say it. If we choose to compromise the message of Christ, we are choosing to not walk in his power and therefore we are choosing to walk powerless because it is the power of the gospel that brings us unto salvation. So if we're not taking the power of the gospel to a a broken world, then we are walking in powerlessness and transformation does not take place. The truth is the truth. You know, it's like, it, it, it's, it's like a marriage where the husband has been abusive and you eventually have to sit the wife down and say, look it, he is, unless God intervenes, he's not going to change. So stop subjecting yourself to the abuse. It's, it's the same thing in the gospel. We have to, we cannot soften the gospel. We have to speak the truth and tell the truth like it is. And the truth is this. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God all of us and so a critical part of our spiritual identity is to be salt and light and so salt is a preservative salt makes people thirsty salt makes food taste better too much salt foods no good um, You know, salt as a a preservative, before there was refrigeration, you know, they would take meat and they would cut it in pieces and they would wrap it in salt and sometimes they would add sugar to it. And then they would take and wrap it in some sort of cloth and put it in a cool place. And that would preserve that meat, that the salt would keep the meat from rotting. And so when, when it says we're the salt of the earth, Jesus is saying, we, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ ministered through you and I is the preservative of our culture. If our culture is decaying, if our culture is becoming maggot infested, then what conclusion can we draw? Salt has stopped being salty. And, and, and the same thing is is light. if if darkness becomes, I mean, I mean, think about this for a moment, and, and I every chair in this room, this floor is black. Every chair in this room has black arms. That blackness, that darkness, can never overcome this light. We can paint all these walls black. We can all wear black clothes, have black chairs, but as long as light is on, The darkness cannot quash the light. But if we paint an entire room black and we shut all the doors and we light one little match, that one little light will illuminate all the blackness. And so when Jesus is talking about us being light, he's saying, look it, it doesn't take a whole lot of light to eliminate darkness. In fact, just like too much salt you can't eat the food, too much light. I mean, if you, you know what it's like to come out of a black room and all of a sudden the brightness of the day is there. You go to the movies you know, in the afternoon and you come out and you walk outside and all of a sudden you're going, oh, whoa, I let, let my eyes adjust. And so light exposes darkness and gives direction. Salt preserves flavors and, um, um, you know, um, Is something that we are called to be. In in fact, this is what Jesus says. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown at and trampled underfoot by men. So we can lose our saltiness simply by not living out the eight Beatitudes we've talked about by not being, showing mercy to receive mercy, and not walking in meekness, you know, and, 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 and you know, not being pure in heart. Standing for truth, and not following through on good works, God has prompted us to do. You know, in, in the ancient world, the salt we eat today, and, and salt is, you know, Himalayan salt's a big deal right now. You know, I mean, now you buy Himalayan salt lamps, and the light shining through the lamp is supposed to have healing benefits. The lady that lives next door to our daughter, she has physical issues. She has built an entire Himalayan salt room in her garage. Yes, all the walls, blocks of Himalayan salt, and she goes in there for healing purposes. And, And she believes that she walks in greater health because she spends time inside a Himalayan salt room. And so, you know, there's, there's kosher salt, there's pink salt, there's white salt, but all of that salt today is processed. Not, not processed in the negative sense, not that it's made to be something that it's not, but it's processed in that all of the impurities and all the other stuff is removed from it. Back in Jesus' day, when they would get salt, they would get it from the Dead Sea or they would get it from mines, they had all kinds of impurities in it. They didn't go through a, through a process. And eventually the salt would wash away and the impurities would still be there. It would be rocks and other types of minerals, and you can't put that on your food. And so when that happens, when it turns out that the impurities have a greater influence than the salt, in other words, you got to eat a lot of rock to get a little bit of salt, what they would do is they would throw that salt out on the street. And they threw throw it on the street because when the water would come, the rain would come, that salt would become a crust. And it would keep the dust down on the road. So the way they paved their roads back then was by salt that had become unusable. And Jesus says if we become salt that's unusable, we're really good for nothing except to be pavement on the road. That's the only value we have. So salt has a significant value. You know, it's, uh, it, it, it prevents decay. It provides seasoning. And, um, you know, we live in a rotten society and so we're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be a preservative, not a preservative, the preservative in our culture. And we do that by speaking an uncompromising message of holiness and justice. God is a God of justice. But God's justice is meted out in God's way. God doesn't put it into our hands. We execute justice by praying. And God moves through our prayer. Wow, they're excited in there. (laughs) When they're louder than me, which is easy to do, by the way. Um, So what distinguishes us from the world is we are to be the ones that, that bring the preservative, that bring the flavor, that bring the seasoning into our culture. If our culture has lost its flavor, if our culture has decayed and become, you know, ridden with however you want to to see it you know maggots Um, if you've ever dealt with maggots before um, when i was in college i worked in the grocery business and so i would i would go to work at four in the morning i would stock shelves till nine in the morning then i would go to lunch and then from 11 to to one o'clock i was a, a cashier so we'd go to work at four in the morning and one of my we had different aisles we were assigned to, and I did the baby food aisle. And I came into work one night, and, and it was the responsibility of the, of the night crew to wheel all the cases out before the grocery store closed, because actually stores used to close at 10 o'clock at night. Um, and I walked in my aisle, and there was this smell. I'm going, oh, what, what is going on here? And as I'd gone through, they used to sell small bottles of baby food meats, in jars and it was the bottom case and when they brought the cases in they had broken the bottom case when it was on the truck it had sent the back room come to, and so when I got down that case and I opened it there were maggots everywhere all over this decaying meat and the smell so that put that picture in your mind you know and just understand that's what Jesus says the world becomes when we're not doing our job as a preservative, when we're not doing our job as the salt of the earth, the earth becomes a decaying, smelly pile of maggots. And it's, it's manifest in the, in the way that our world becomes godless. So we're supposed to be salt. Jesus said, believers who are indistinguishable from non-Christians are useless when it comes to changing the world. We have to maintain our distinction. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel. We must count all things as lost for the sake of the cross. Then he goes on and he uses another picture. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we're to light a lamp. If we ask the Holy Spirit, he will give us ideas for service to do and truths to declare. This is the way he lights our lamp you know when john the baptist sent his disciples to jesus to ask again if he really was the messiah jesus's answer was was this in essence go back and tell john about the salt and the light that's taking place in my ministry the lame walk the blind see the dead are being raised the gospel's being preached to the poor Jesus said, go back and tell John about the salt and the light, the impact that I'm having. See, the Holy Spirit lights us up, and, and he's going to give us very simple, very simple assignments that we, about, we, we can never take practical ways. Going back to what I said before I began about we, we can never take what God does and put it on a scale of smallness to bigness because God is the same. The, the, the same thing is true. We cannot minimize the smallness of the task that God gives us because, remember, it just takes one little match inside of a dark room to eliminate the entire room. Jesus says, if we give a cup of cold water in his name, the kingdom has come. So he wanted to let us know that we can't sit around and wait for something big to come our way to have impact on culture and upon a world that's in darkness. Jesus wants us to know, he wanted his disciples to know that the smallest action of light that we do in a dark world is going to make a difference in someone, sometime, at some place. And we can't measure, we can't measure the effectiveness of, of our light with our results. God has his own result scale. And it changes every day. God doesn't measure results by our measurement. God measures results by the change he sees in the heart of the person we touch. And there may be a change in one area and another area may be struggling the rest of their life. And we have a tendency to look at what they're not doing and God sees what they are doing but the, they're not going to be doing anything if we're not salt and we're not light. So, you know, many refuse to do the, the simple, routine, mundane things in presenting the love of God to people. You know, whether it's, whether it's a homeless person Jesus says, give a cup of cold water. You know, if you ask the Holy Spirit every day, show me today how I might be light in someone's life. Show me today how I might be salt in someone's life. He's going to bring something along, something you're going to say. I can't tell you how many times people have come to me and said, you know, you said this one thing. When when we, uh, when Adrian was running for school board, Uh, He was running against um, five of the, he was running, you know, there are five candidates running for three positions. And one of the ladies running, who who I've come to learn is a Mormon, but one of the ladies who was running, who got elected, came up to me after the community uh, gathering. She says, you know, when you pastored the church down across the street from In-N-Out, I had a nephew whose life was falling apart with drugs and gangs. And he came in and saw you and you said one thing to him and it changed his life. And today he's married and he has kids and his life's together. And that one thing you said made an incredible impact on his life. And I said, what did I say? (laughs) I want to do it again. (laughs) And she said, you told him that no matter what he did, God still loved him. I don't know the kid. The kid remembers me. The kid remembers enough to tell his aunt and to tell his cousins, and it was significant to change his life, but it really was not a big deal. I mean, he's not the only kid I ever said it to. but he's one of the few who listened. I don't know if he's walking with the Lord but there was something that I said in the understanding of the love of God was enough to wipe out everything that he couldn't forgive himself of, God would forgive him. That's what it means to be light. That's what it means to be salt. It doesn't take, again, too much salt ruins the meal. There's a pinch of salt. Believe me, they know why it's just a pinch. You know, and so so we need to understand. And he says, let your light shine before men. We can't hide the truth deliberately out of fear or neglect it because of laziness because Jesus later tells a parable about someone who because of fear doesn't do the simple thing God gave him to do. In this parable, in Matthew 25, you know, he, he tells the parable of, of the man who gave talents to different servants and told them to go and cause it to multiply and so when he came back to them to give an account for the talent God had given to them the talent the master had given to them God has entrusted to each one of us an ability a talent there's something everybody in this room can do in somebody's life that nobody else can do God has given you a talent for that moment and it could have been with that young man when I was pastoring that 50 other people had told him God loved him. But at that moment, the way I said it, the circumstances in what I said it changed his life. And so in this parable, Jesus says that when, when, the, when the master comes back and, and has the servants give an account for the talents he entrusted to them, this one servant says, I was afraid. I was afraid that I might do something with it and lose it. I might devalue it. And so in order not to devalue it, I took it and I hid it in the ground. And in this parable, the master answers and said, You wicked and lazy servant, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten. You see, Jesus entrusts each one of us with something of light and something of salt that is going to preserve and illuminate somebody who's walking in darkness or somebody who's in a life of decay. And so, and he goes on and says, I mean, there's this profound thing he says here, a city can't be hidden. I I just think of in the context of our city and what's going on right now with the ministerial association and this last week, how we met with the police department and we met with the school board and we met with the city council because of the gang issue that's risen its head again in our community, and people are being murdered. And they they said, we we need the faith community to be a voice and to help these parents not only walk through this, but help them make sure their kids don't get sucked into being part of the gangs. Because they're talking about 15-year-olds who are getting murdered because they belong to a gang that's in competition with another gang. And it's all about power and it's all about territory. And if you look at it and analyze it, it's really all about stupidity. But stupidity is causing moms, it's causing children to be without sons and fathers. Jesus said this He said, A city cannot be hidden. I think this is the one of the most extraordinary statements that, that Jesus ever said about the church because I don't think the church was ever intended to be um, fully denominational and congregational to where identity is in um, theology and doctrine. He always intended the church to be something that impacts a city. When, he, when Paul wrote the letters to the Ephesians, to the Philippians, to the Colossians, to the, to the Corinthians, to the Thessalonians, he wrote it to all the believers in all the house churches gathered in that city. And Jesus makes the same statement. He says, "If a city cannot be hidden, if all the lights are illuminated together. And I just believe that if the body of Christ will come together and fulfill Jesus' prayer in John seventeen, to where the light of of the prayer room, joined with the light of the Assembly of God Church, joined with the light of, of the Free Methodist Church, joined with the light of the Baptist Church, and joined with this city in a valley in such a way that it will be distinct and the light will draw people to it. So the city really is a, a gathering of, of groups of faithful individuals who have decided That they're gonna light their lights together to cause this great illumination. And he says that, that, that we need to let our light shine to glorify our Father who is in heaven. I hear people talking all the time about, oh, we just want the glory of the Lord. We just want the glory. Well, here's the reality we are the glory. We are the glory. We let our light shine. We glorify our Father who is in heaven. The glory of God has illuminated us. And what is the glory of God? What did God do when Moses said, show me your glory? Show me your face? He covered his face. You couldn't see him, and he walked by, and he says, the Lord God merciful. The Lord God just and compassionate and long-suffering. That is the glory of the Lord. When we let our light shine, when we become merciful and long-suffering and justice, the glory of the Lord is expressed through us. And so if we want the glory of the Lord, if we want to see God's glory, then we need to live like Jesus. We need to be salt and we need to be light because when we become the light of the world, we glorify our Father who is in heaven. And being light is one of our key Spiritual weapons. Now, when we think of spiritual weapons, we immediately go to Ephesians 6. We go to the homer of God. We go to the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, you know, our feet shod with the gospel. We go to that. But here's the reality. Being light is our, one of our key spiritual weapons because all of Satan's attacks come through darkness. When Satan fell and the angels of heaven fell with him, they were put into outer darkness. Everything the enemy does is done in darkness. In, in fact, this is what it says, Jude 1.6. And the angels who did not keep their own domain, in other words, the third of the angels of heaven that joined with Lucifer when he said, I will exalt myself above the throne of God, and the third of the angels of heaven and said, okay, we're with you, buddy. Let's go and let's, let's take authority here. It says, and those angels did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, and he has kept them in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. 2 Peter 2, 4 says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, Satan's rebellion against God brought eternal judgments or chains or bonds of darkness. The only way darkness is eliminated is by light. There is no other way to eliminate darkness. There's one way, and one way only, and that is to be light. And so one of our greatest spiritual weapons is being light. We need to understand what Jesus says when he bes light, because you know, e- eternal darkness really is defined in our culture as moral darkness. And Jesus says this: "If the light within you is darkness, then how great is that darkness? If the light within somebody is not the light of God, but it is the darkness of the outer resources where the enemy has fallen and where he does his deeds. If that's the light within us, then how dark are we? But again, the smallest amount of light, a little match, you know we have, we have these little um, so have these little tea candles. I guess they're called, are they called tea candles. So I have these little tea candles. And they have little LED lights on them. And there's a battery in them. You turn them on, and, and the LED kind of flickers like it's, like, like it's really fire, but it's not. And each one is one watt. Okay, And we have four of them in our living room. And we go to bed at night and turn all the lights off, but we leave those little candles flickering. Our entire living room is lit up by four itty bitty, one watt LED candles operated by batteries. That's how much light in our life dispels darkness. So light is one of our greatest spiritual weapons because light dispels darkness every time. There is not one time, there will never be a time where darkness will win over light. There will never be a time that you walk into a dark room and pull that light switch on and the light bulb goes on And darkness encompasses the light and there's no light in the room. Light wins every single time period. Never, ever, ever loses. So if we want to battle the darkness in our own heart, if we want to battle the darkness in our culture, we do so by being light, by allowing the light of the love of God to be shining through us into people's lives and situations. And so... A dark world is simply this. A dark world is the absence of God who is light. Period. You want to know why there's so much darkness? Because there's so little God. You bring God into a situation, and and God has defined Himself. The Bible says God is what? God is love. So here's the thing. If we're going to be light to glorify God, we're going to have to love like God loved. And how did God love? God sent his son to die for us. And this is love. Not that we loved him first, but that he sent his son to die for us and make the payment for our sin. So the one way that we become light in every situation is to love like Jesus loves. We die to ourselves. We die to our reputation, we die to our emotions, we die to our fears, we die to everything. And we simply go in and we say, I'm going to walk in love. However God shows me to do that, I'm going to walk in love. And whatever the result is, I know this, that I am illuminating the darkness, that I am bringing light into the darkness. The thing that changed that young man's life that day in my office was not me it was the reminder of how much God loved him. The moment he accepted that love, the light of God came in and not only illuminated the darkness, it eliminated the darkness to where he was able to accept himself. So as followers of Jesus, we have been delivered from the domain or the authority of darkness. Before we come to Christ, We are in darkness. When we come to God through Jesus, we have been set free from darkness. In fact, this is is what scripture says. Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A lot of people know that part of the verse his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, what? Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're not trapped in darkness if we have been born in light. Darkness, it leaves us vulnerable to attacks of darkness. Take satanic attacks. The result is our light becomes hidden. And so wherever there's willful disobedience to the word of God, there is spiritual darkness. Proverbs says this the spirit of the man of a man, or the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. The spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord. So there is a holy radiance that surrounds every true believer and true follower of Jesus Christ because the lamp within us, there's a lamp within us, and it is the Lord. And and so when we harbor sin, the light within us is darkness. And, you know, Satan has legal access given to him by God to dwell in the domain of darkness. God has said you will dwell in the domain of darkness. If we allow darkness into our life, we are saying we are creating a dwelling place for the enemy to come and take residence. And what? Your word is a what unto my feet and a what? Light unto my feet and a lamp to my path. So if, if we want light within us, we, we need to make sure the word of God lives within us. If, if you remember anything today about your walk, remember this last line on, on, on page two. The devil can traffic in any area of darkness, even the darkness that still exists in a Christian's heart. So if you want to know why you keep doing the same things or to or, or the same temptations, You just need to go to that place where that darkness is and deal with that darkness. Bring it to the light and let God give you freedom. So then he goes on to say, we have 10 minutes to finish the last page. He says, do not think that I came to destroy the law of the prophets, but to fulfill it, I say to you, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So Jesus is committed to changing the world. And, and he's going to change the world by salt and light. So remember, this is all contextual. So Jesus is telling them he didn't come to destroy the law. He didn't come to destroy it. The prophets say he came to fulfill it. And he's fulfilling it by the salt and the light of the followers of Christ. And so he didn't destroy or minimize any of the Old Testament. You know, a, a jot is, is what the smallest letter in Greek and Hebrew is called. And a tittle is a little accent that's put above a letter. And Jesus said, I didn't come to, to eliminate the smallest letter or the smallest accent mark on any word. He says, to the contrary. I came to fulfill it. I came to, I came to make it. You know, and one day the earth is going to be full with his glory as we walk in Righteousness. So Jesus came to fulfill the promises of God and the commands that would be expressed through the lives of his people. And that's why he goes on. I told you, this this tapestry that Jesus weaves together, he said, I didn't come to eliminate the law. I came to fulfill the law. And then the next thing he talks about is how the law is manifest in our heart before we even sin. I mean, it's such a brilliant exegesis. Um, and so Jesus is going to transform the earth and, and read the prophet Isaiah, read Jeremiah, read Habakkuk, read, read how God said he was going to do this. Then he gives us this invitation to greatness. So we live out the Beatitudes by being salt and light. We live as the fullness of Jesus fulfilling the law is in our lives. And that, you know, we learn how to overcome thoughts of hatred. We learn how to overcome lustful thoughts. And then he says this. Whoever breaks, and this this word breaks means consistently over forgiveness and you move on. It's talking about a continual, constant, over and over. Whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men to do so. So in other words, you're taking scripture, you're twisting it, you're breaking what scripture says, and you're teaching other people to do it. Shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does consistently and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's what I get from this. Jesus invites every one of us to walk in greatness. He says, whoever consistently does the law or the commandments and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, Lord, what role can I have in your plan to transform the earth? How much will you use me? Um, How much in the age to come? We, We can't repent of a desire for greatness in the kingdom because God has put it within us because it's part of his plan for us. God's plan for us is greatness, greatness that glorifies him, not that glorifies us, greatness that glorifies him, but greatness that has authority over all the power of darkness. Our greatness is measured in how we will rule and reign with him based upon how we live our life here and now. Go back to the parable of the talents. One was given one talent, one was given ten. The one who took ten invested and made it grow to more. The one who took one was afraid and buried it, and he lost everything. God is giving us talents to see how we're going to develop those talents to use in eternal rulership with him. Don't ask me what that looks like. Don't ask me how that plays out, because it gives me a headache trying to think about it. It gives me a headache just trying to think about eternity or a new heaven and a new earth, about a new Jerusalem coming down, a city that's 1,000 miles by 1,000 miles by 1,000 miles. That blows my mind. I mean, that's half the size of the United States. And so it, I don't think it can come and set on Earth because it's going to kill too many people if it lands on it. And when you think about our atmosphere, is 63 miles high. The new Jerusalem's 1,000 miles high. So that's over 900 miles out of the earth atmosphere. Earth I mean, it's just, it just boggles my brain. So whoever invites anyone to greatness and teaches, you know, our place in the age to come is centered on keeping and teaching the least of his commands. You know, and Jesus warned that if we minimize the least of his commands and teach others to do so, we will be least in his kingdom. I mean, so we can't compromise on anything. We can't live this false grace, this teaching, you know, that, that was predominant even in the days of Paul. You know, in, in, in Acts 20, when, when Paul is going back to Jerusalem because he missed Passover and he wants to get there in time for Pentecost. But to go back from where he is to get back to Jerusalem, the, the most direct way is to go through Ephesus. But Paul doesn't want to go through Ephesus because he's already lived there four years. He knows if he gets there, he'll never get out. He's just that popular of a guy, and, and it's just kind of like home to him. So he goes south to Miletus, and then he sends for the elders of Jerusalem to come down. And, and you have this incredible picture on in how he tells them he's never going to see him again. You know, it says they, they lay their heads on each other's shoulders and cry. They pray together. And Paul, when he prays for them, warns them. He says, there are going to be those who rise up within you. They're going to be false teachers. Make sure you don't let the false teachers rob any of your sheep. Revelation 2, the first letter Jesus writes to an angel in the church is to the church at Ephesus. And he says, I have this for you. You guys are zealous. You are zealous for the gospel. But he says, you even hate the teachings of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. And the Nicolaitans were the guys teaching false grace. The guys who are teaching, go ahead and sin. It's okay because Jesus died for your sin. Just sin and repent and go on. Don't worry about if this sin or that sin because grace covers it all. And Jesus says, you hate their, you, you were just zealous about how much you hated their teachings. But something happened. He says, I have this against you you've left your first love. So, so you see, even standing against false teaching without love disqualifies our stand. Love is, love is the key to everything. And so when it says, anyone who minimizes the least of these commandments is going to not have a <clears throat> high place of authority in the kingdom, we need to understand the one thing, the one measuring stick, by which we determine if we are living out these commands the way God wants us to, is what is our motivation? And if our motivation is not love, if love is not the motivation for what we do, if we're doing it for recognition, if we're doing it for whatever reason, and and if we teach compromise, or we tell people you don't have to worry about that, that's not really what God meant, we do any of that, God says there's a consequence for that. Even though he's called us greatness, we will not be great. Matthew 25 goes on to say in that same parable, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Luke 19 says it this way. Because you are faithful in very little, you have authority over ten cities. I have no idea what that looks like. You know, I'm going to find out, but I don't know right now. So, to sum it all up, it's this: our confession must be that we're going to live as salt and light. This is when, when I, when I do my my, my prayers, I have. My daughter-in-law asked me the other day, she said, do you say the same prayer every day or do you make it different? I said, well, I, I have prayers written out in my Bible and every morning I give them a devotion, I read these prayers verbatim because they're things that are important to me. I, I have a prayer um, that, I, that I pray for the armor of God, that I pray every day. We need to pray the Beatitudes every day. We, we need to every day come before the Lord, Lord. Today, may I walk in meekness. Today, may I walk in mercy. Today, you know, may may I walk in, in, in the faithfulness of poverty of spirit. May I walk today, God, mourning over those who have forsaken you. We need to pray that every day. We need to put on the full armor of God. I mean, Paul says, put on the armor of God. Put it on. What does that mean? I, I, I put it on, you know? Sometimes I, I'm down here every day, and so the days that Jill and others don't show up, I'm walking up down this aisle right now, and I'm putting it on. I haven't done it for anybody else yet, but I do it. But, but this, is, this is a confession we need to make every day. I will seek to go deep in my walk with Jesus. I will take a stand for truth, work hard, give much, resist sin, and serve others as salt and light. I will do this even in my weakness, knowing that greatness in little brings glory to God. Greatness in the littlest of things brings glory to God. So every believer's responsibility is to use whatever resource God has entrusted to you. Remember, that's when we talked about, you know, being, being poor in spirit, being in poverty of spirit, using all of the strength God gives us. Our strength is in not only physical strength, our strength is in our money, our strength is in our time, you know, however we use all of that to his glory, every, every believer's responsibility is to use their resources, their strength, to stop get t- decay and to bring light to Our culture in our generation and just let me tell you if you haven't figured this out yet Satan is on a darkness quest right now he's just pouring out darkness in buckets but it doesn't matter how much darkness he pours out because light will always win that's why and this is in the notes but that's why when you read Revelation and, and, and you get to the place for the abomination of desolation that Daniel talks about it's in the book of Revelation when after three and a half years of, of world peace, the Antichrist commits the abomination of desolation, declares himself to be God. The next verse tells you this. He then pursues the saints of the earth to kill them. This is what it's saying. At the abomination of desolation, the Antichrist knows, as long as there is light in the earth, darkness cannot win. So when he pursues the saints to kill them, it is darkness trying to quash light. It's going to be the eternal battle. Light is going to win. But just know the enemy is just beginning to do whatever he purposes to do to try and put out the light. And we have to make certain that we don't let our light go out. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your glory, God, that is manifest in us. And Lord, our prayer is simple. I'm just going to pray this decree over us. Father, we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who came in the flesh. God, we ask that we will go deep in our walk with Jesus. God, we, we decree that we will take a stand for truth. We will work hard with the abilities, the opportunities you give us. We will give much. We will resist sin. We will serve others as salt and light. We will do this even in our weakness, in our smallness, in our weariness. God, what we live in a day and hour of weariness because we are salt and we are light, knowing that the greatness of our little brings much glory to you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.